Morning, church. Beautiful morning. Hope you've enjoyed it so far. And we thank God for his presence among us today. Happy Father's Day to all of you gentlemen. Congratulations for that. Beth and I now are in that stage of life, that season of life, where we, we both enjoy the presence of our own fathers who are still living. And so there will be response to them today. And we have sons who are both fathers, which is uh, the other end of the spectrum. And so here we are kind of in the middle generation right now, and celebrating a special day like this is uh, very important. Just a little heads up, the last, beginning the last week in July and through the month of August, we're going to be doing a series entitled Home Improvement, and you have to be here for that, and you have to bring friends with you. We're going to be talking about the role of men and women in the family and the role of children in the family. It's going to be very helpful, very strengthening, re reassuring, and I hope challenging to us as well. I'm very much looking forward to that, so uh, mark your calendars for that. It's coming up. Today we continue this series that we've been on now for a couple of weeks called Clean, and we are going to use as our text this morning from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. These are the words of Jesus, and they are reassuring and comforting, I hope. And so we're going to read verses 28 to 30 of Matthew's Gospel chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, thanks for turning there. If not, we'll project the words on the screen for you. And as you're able, would you please stand to hear these important words. They're the red letters. And Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let that settle. Take my yoke, yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now may you receive every drop of the intention of God's grace toward you in this way. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Heard this uh, week a story about a pet store delivery truck going down the road. And every time the guy had to stop at a light, he would jump out of his truck with a two-by-four in his hands and then start banging on the side of the truck. And he went through, through the middle of town, and three or four times he stopped, jumped out of his truck, started banging on the side of it with his two-by-four. And the guy that was following him just couldn't figure out what was going on. I mean, it was a pet store truck, and so he finally just pulled up beside him. He said, what, what's going on? Why do you keep banging this truck? He said, well, he said, this is a two-ton truck, and I've got four tons worth of canaries in here, and I've got to keep half of them in the air. <clears throat> and I thought, well, you know, that's like a metaphor for life. <laughs> Most of us have to uh, keep a bunch of stuff in the air all the time just so that the weight of our lives doesn't come crashing down on us and completely smash us. And so we find ourselves in the midst of these struggles, this tendency we have to get stuck in, in some of the issues in our lives. Some of us are stuck in our relationships, some with bad habits, others are stuck in grief. Others are stuck in anger or workaholism or sexual relationships. And once you get stuck, what happens to all of us is that there are feelings of remorse about that. You know, you, 
you just get in that you get in that issue and and you and you know that it's not right and you know that your actions are poor and your reactions are worse and these habits form and so you begin to have these emotions that circulate around these bad habits and one of the things is you feel guilty and then guilt leads to anger i mean i feel bad that i'm engaged in this kind of attitude or behavior and then and then i get angry because why can't i change this why can't i adjust my life and so I, I get filled with self-loathing and ang anger t toward myself or others. And then there's fear. Well, what if I can never get better? What if I can never get healthy? What if I'll never be whole? What if I'll never overcome this particular challenge in my life? And then the cycle finally comes to the place where you just say, well, I give up. Apparently, I can't get past this, and so uh, I'm just afraid, and I'm depressed. And so this, and the more depressed and blue you get, and the more discouraged you become about the issues, the more you're inclined to lean and fall back into those old patterns. And the cycle just starts again, only the next time it's a little deeper and a little stronger, and we get stuck. Now the question is, how do you break out of that stuckness? How do you get through? How do you get over? How do you get better? How do you make progress with this? We've been talking about steps to take. And I've reminded all of us that no matter what the issue is in our lives, the steps are the same. The same steps will get you to a better place, no matter what the particular issue is. Step one is the simple admission. I've got a problem. I have an issue in my life, a hurt, a habit, a hang-up. Something is in my life, and I can't shake it. I can't get, can't get past it. And so it's a reality step. It's saying, look, okay, I have an issue. I have a problem. The second step we talked about last week is this step of hope. We reminded ourselves that not only does God know about us and about all of the details of those issues of our lives, but he actually cares about us. He knows us, he cares about us, and he offers his help. <clears throat> he offers us the power necessary to get better, to get clean. And so it's great to come clean, to understand, to recognize reality, which is I have an issue, I need help with this, and God's available to help. Now, it's good to know God's willing to help, but it's not enough merely to know that God is willing to help. There have to be steps taken. There has to be movement toward God. There has to be decisions made in God's direction in order to activate His help for our lives. And that leads us then to today's third step. And it's on your outline. Maybe you want to fill in these blanks. We'll put it on the screen for you. And here's step three. Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and his control. Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Now, this is based on Jesus' words from our text today, Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary, overburdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me, this is God's invitation, and I'll make your life easier. I will actually lighten your load. Lighten it. I'll give you relief. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rejuvenation. It's a good deal, right? I mean, it sounds really helpful. And who, who wouldn't turn that deal down? I mean... Or, who would turn that down because it's such a good offer, an invitation for God to lighten your load. And so we have to ask the question, if it is such a good deal and God has the ability to help us and all we need to do is take a step toward him and ask, 
then what is it? What are the issues that keep us from inviting God's power into our lives? Have you ever thought about this? Let me just give you a handful of reasons why people hesitate to ask God to establish his power in our lives. The first thing is pride. You might want to write that down, pride. Some of you are too proud to write it down. No, just write, write pride. <laughs> Think about it later. Proverbs 18, 12. Arrogant people are on the way to ruin because they won't admit it when they need help. Hmm. You know, it's Father's Day weekend. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you fathers find it difficult to stop and ask for directions? Happens, right? Anyone here have wandered around for a long time, completely discombobulated and too proud to stop and ask for help? And for, for some folks, and this may be especially true for men, maybe you're just not ready to take this step, to say, okay, I need help. God, please help me. You're just not ready for that. Uh, what you need instead is more pain. Because if you don't surrender your life to God, then God accommodates that with more pain, with more of the emotional turmoil that will weigh you down and burden down your life. And so that's the other option. You don't, you don't have to surrender to God. You can, you can invite more pain into your life until you are ready to surrender to God. So pride can keep us from it. Here's a second thing, and that's guilt. I may be ashamed to ask God to help me. Think about that. Psalm 40, verse 13, problems far too big for me to solve or piled higher than my head. Meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have caught up with me, and I'm ashamed to look up. Anyone uh, ever feel that way? Ashamed to look up? My, you know, my sins pile up. And it makes me embarrassed and ashamed. And the last person in the world I want to talk to about it is God because I know he must be disappointed. And I'm just, I'm ashamed to even look up and ask for help because my sins are so many. There have been so many times I've made a promise to God and I broke it. So many, so many times that, I, that I, I took out a new leaf, I made a resolution. That's going to be the end of that. I'm not going to suffer through this grief anymore. I'm not going to get in another toxic relationship. I'm not going to in, involve myself so heavily in my work that I neglect my family and other important relationships. I'm not going to engage, indulge that habit anymore. So many times we make these promises and then those promises are broken and we become ashamed. We feel guilty about it. A few years ago, Beth was invited to be a counselor at a, a big youth event festival. There are thousands of teenagers there, and in one of the sessions, an invitation for these teens to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, an, an invitation to know God, and it was given, and the, hundreds of these kids came forward. It was a, it was a beautiful thing, and, and so Beth was part of the team of people who were counseling these teenagers as they were making a decision for Christ, and she, she got in a little face-to-face -face moment with a teenage girl about 16 years old and she was dressed rather poorly and she was a bit unkept and and just afraid around the edges and Beth asked this girl a, a leading question and she said do you realize what you've done and in Beth's context do you realize the step you've taken toward Christ and what that means in your life and how, what God's response to you is if you repent of your sins, God will forgive you. And so in Beth's paradigm, 
And she used the vernacular, do you realize what you've done? Taking this step toward Christ. But in this girl's psychology and in her worldview, this is how she responded to the question, do you realize what you've done? And she said, and I quote, oh, I realize what I've done. You name it, and I've done it. So there's a 16-year-old girl who, when asked the question, you realize what you've done, she is, she, her psychology is filled with the failures in her life and the wounds in her life and the disappointments and her poor choices in her life. And it's no wonder it's hard for folks to get to God because they feel guilty and ashamed. Well, that can be a stumbling block to taking this step. Here's a third thing, and that's fear. You might want to write that down. I, I'm afraid of what I might have to give up if I say yes to God, take a step toward him. It's a, the story, maybe you've heard this, the guy who fell off a cliff, and he's halfway down, and he see a, sees a branch, and he grabs the branch, and he's just clinging to this branch, and he looks up, and it's 500 feet back up to the top, and he looks down, and it's 500 feet all the way to the bottom of this canyon, and he's just gripping onto this branch, hanging on for dear life, and he says, and he begins to cry out to God, oh God, help me, go God, save me. And the voice of God comes out of heaven, says, this is the Lord, you can trust me, just let go of the limb and I'll catch you. <laughs> and the man looks down again, looks back up and said, is there anyone else up there? <laughs> because we're not, we're not sure, are we? If we can actually trust God, we're, we're afraid of what might happen if I actually let go of the control of my life and let God have the care of my life. Let me ask you this. What are you afraid of if you commit your life to Christ? What are you afraid of? Um, what might happen to you if you give God control? Some people just take their imagination. God might turn me into a nun or a priest. I can't have that. Or God might send me to bongo bongo, you know, and I have to live among the, you know, the natives. And there I am. I'm stuck somewhere. Or God might ask me to do something or be something or, or give up something or change some part of my style that, that I just couldn't tolerate. And so people get afraid of that. Well, let me just remind you something. Everybody in this room is controlled by something or someone. So I can't give God control of my life. Really? If you don't give God control of your life, you're giving someone else control of your life or something else control of your life because everybody submits to the control of something. We all do. Some, for some folks, it's the opinion of other people. What controls your life is making sure you please the, the opinions of everybody around you. That controls you. For some people, it's the hurts that you can't forget or you can't forgive. I was wounded. It was wrong. I can't get past it. I can't forget it. I won't move on. This informs my life. You're controlled by that. For other folks, it's some habit or some hang-up. Or maybe it's the way your parents brought you up. And you just can't get, can't get past that. And that controls you. That controls your attitudes. That controls your worldview. That controls your own parenting style. It, it just affects it. It controls your life. Bob Dylan... Bob Dylan said it well years ago in a song. He said, you're going to have to serve somebody. 
You're going to have to serve somebody. And that's actually true. Let me tell you what freedom is. If I were to ask you to describe freedom, you, you may come up with a definition like, well, freedom is the ability to do whatever I want, to be in control of my own life, to, to decide for myself what is going to happen to me, and, and to be the boss of my life. That's what real freedom is. Let me give you a better definition of freedom. Freedom is choosing who controls you. Real freedom is deciding, is choosing who's going to control you. Jesus said, look, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I will set you free. So what are you holding on to that you think, I can't let go of this in order to give my life to God? Is it a relationship? Is it an ambition? Is it a habit? Is it a lifestyle? Is it a particular possession? What is it that keeps you fearful of surrendering to God? Mark 8, 36 says, How does a man benefit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Is anything worth more than his soul? The answer is, of course, no. Here's what God says. If you allow me to have the care and control of your life, I will actually turn your life around. I will give you meaning. I will give you significance. I will give you a new vitality. I'll give you a whole new way of looking at the world. So listen, don't let pride or guilt or fear keep you from taking this step. Here's, here's a fourth thing that keeps some folks from taking this step and, and inviting God's presence and power into their lives, and that's worry. We worry. We confuse the decision-making phase with the problem-solving phase. The decision-making phase with the problem-solving phase. And so we worry, if I give my life to God, how is this all going to get sorted out? I mean, right now it's a big mess. And I just can't see how anyone, even God, could sort this out. I worry about that. So if I make a decision today that affects so many parts of my life, I just worry that any of it will ever work out. But again, you confuse the decision-making process with the problem-solving process. Let me illustrate this. Back in 1963, President John Kennedy stood up one day in a speech, and this is what he said almost verbatim. He said, before the end of the decade, we are going to send a man to the moon and re return them safely to the earth. And we're going to do that. So the president made a decision. We're going to put people on the, the moon and bring them back home. And we're going to do that before the... This was 1963, and he said, we're going to do this before the end of the decade. You know, got seven years, ready, go. And so he hands NASA... Now, were all the problems solved? All the bugs worked out? None of that was done, but a decision was made. A decision was made, and then the problem-solving starts. And by the, uh, the amazing ingenuity of the scientists at NASA and other people around the country, that goal was achieved. You know how it works. Union Chapel, for example, moved from a cornfield church to a high school auditorium, and then from a high school auditorium we moved to a, a dilapidated old car dealership and made, made a church campus out of an old car lot. <laughs> now, how do you do that? Here's the, only, here's the only way you do that. You make the decision, and then you, fi then you figure it out. You decide, this is what God wants you to do. 
This is the right thing to do. And so because it's the right thing to do at the right time, you do it. You make the decision and you pull the trigger on that and you do it. And then you start problem solving. And how do you, how do you get a church to meet in a school where you can't have any of your stuff in the school and you can't have any of your nursery equipment, you can't have any of your classroom equipment, you can't have any of your sound equipment, you can't, can't have anything associated with the church actually in the building, so you've got to haul it in there every week, week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week out, and set everything up and accommodate everything that goes on in the life of a church over the weekend, and you have to do that in a rented facility. How do you do that? You make, you make the decision, and then you start solving the problems. And then, and then came the decision to buy a, a dilapidated old car lot. Listen, the roof was caving in, the, the, the water was pouring in, the windows were busted out, the doors were all bent up and, and broken, volunteered trees growing in the middle of the parking lot. And we said, God, what do you want us to do? He said, buy that thing. <laughs> and, I said, and we said, all right, we will. Now listen, were any of the problems solved? None of it was solved. But you make the decision, and then you solve the problem. Any good, any good manager knows this. This is how you manage a business. This is how you manage uh, the, the institutions that you may run. You make decisions. You make decisions that are right at the right time for the right reasons. You make choices, and then you work out the problems. And you solve the, you eliminate the obstacles. It's, it's the way it works. Ten years ago, Beth and I decided to build a house. So we decide, okay, we're going to build a house. Now, was that all there was to it? Are you kidding? Making the decision was just the first step. Then there was find a builder, get financing, make a thousand and one decisions, live in a hotel room for ten weeks, rent a truck, haul your stuff over, change your address. There's a, there's a hundred different little problems that come up along the way, challenges that come with that decision. But you make the decision, then you work it out. The problems are tackled after the decision. Forty-three years ago, I made a decision to invite Jesus Christ into my life. I can tell you I was lost as a goose in a snowstorm. I'm like a ball in high weeds. And I, I'm lost. I don't know, up from down spiritually. I, I'm, just, I, I'm in church because my mother made me go. And here's this moment when God's Spirit is, is challenging me about my own relationship with God, and I realize, well, something's missing, something's, something's incomplete. I, I, I'm, for the first time in my life, concerned about this. So 16 years old, I find my way forward to the front of a little church, and I'm kneeling down at a little kneeling rail at the, at the altar there, and I don't know what to do. I'm just done. I'm just there. I just... If someone said, what are you doing here? I'd say, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm doing. But I can remember what I prayed. And I basically was saying, God, look, I don't get any of this. I'm not even sure what's going on. But I think I need you in my life. So I don't even know who you are for sure. But as much as I understand of you and as much as I understand of myself, if you can make my life better, then, you know, come on in. Give it a shot. I'm open to that. And so I made a decision when I was 16 years old. Now, that's 43 years ago. But now for 43 years, there's been a process. I made a decision, but there's been all kinds of things happening spiritually and relationally and emotionally since then in my life. And I'm constantly updating all that stuff. Sometimes 
sometimes there'll be a voice that says, you know, what, are, what do you think about doing that? And so, well, no, wait a minute. I, I don't do that anymore. Since I made that decision to give my life to God and to live for Him, that's a behavior that I don't engage in. Sorry, I don't do that. You know, a change of address. And so I'm constantly, there's, there's a constant process. Now for 43 years, I expect it to continue right up to the last moment of my earthly life. Here's the most important thing I'll say today. Most important thing I'll say. So if, you're, if you've been out there, come on back just for a second. Come on back to me. Are you back? Here's the most important thing I'll say. If you get this, you'll, you'll get the gist of this whole message. The Christian life is a decision followed by a process. The Christian life is a decision followed by a process. Let me illustrate. In World War II, you know, we've just commemorated the 70th anniversary of D-Day, and some of us have uh, revisited that amazing sequence of events. And subsequently, the, the war in the Pacific was fought. We can take an illustration from experiences of the United States Marines. When the Marines would approach an island in the Pacific during World War II, to recover it from Japanese occupation, they had a two-pronged strategy. The first strategy was to soften up the enemy, as it were, and so these huge battleships would sit just off the coast of these islands and just bombard them day and night for days on end, just constant bombardment to, as it were, soften up the enemy. And then the Marines would send these amphibious troops right up to the beaches of these islands and, and at, at great personal risk, incredible, incredible courage, and they would establish a beachhead, just like they did in Normandy on the coast of France on D-Day, a beachhead in some place that was only 50 yards deep, another place it was 200 yards deep, but a beachhead was established. And from that beachhead then, Materials and fresh troops could be brought in, and then inch by inch, sometimes there would be a mile taken in one day, sometimes there'd be five miles, sometimes they'd lose some ground, then they'd have to retake the ground. But here's what we know. In all of the experience of the United States Marines in World War II, any time the Marines established a beachhead, they always took that island. They never lost any ground where they established a beachhead. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? Now here's what, God, God spends much of his time helping us soften us up. For some of you right in this room right now, you are in the midst of so much confusion or so much disappointment or so much grief or so much pain that you wonder if you're going to be able to keep going. Now remember, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. And God's in the process of allowing you to be softened up, softened up to the place where you'll say, look, God, I can't do this anymore. I need your help. And what God wants to do is just establish a beachhead in your life. If you'll just invite him into that issue, into that place where there's struggle for you, just invite God to that place and allow him to get a toehold, to, to allow him to get a beachhead established there. Here's what God will do. He will, from that place, inch by inch, sure by sure, he will take over that whole part. And that'll be a good thing. Because you want to give God care and control of your life. All of your life. It's what's best. So when you take this step, God gets this beachhead. 
for some people, it's, it's uh, the first step of asking God's presence to be in your life. It's called conversion or receiving Jesus or receiving the gift of eternal life. It's called, it's called being born again. It's, ca- it's called allowing God's presence in your life, inviting him in to your life to establish a beachhead. Maybe you worry that this, this, in this battle you can't hold on. You can't hold out. Well, even if I let God establish a foothold in my life, I, I just don't think I can make it. I don't think I can hold on until God can make his way all the way through that, that particular part of my life. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He said, if you'll trust me, if you'll invite me into that part of your life, I'll hold on for you. I'll take care. All you dads and moms today, you've raised kids, you now have grandkids, whatever stage you're in in life right now, you know that when your children or grandchildren are young, they are too young to watch out for themselves. And when they're in a potentially risky kind of situation or dangerous situation, your instinct as a parent is to grab them by the hand. Now, we raised two boys, and I can still, I can still feel the hands of my boys in either one of my hands. Like if we were going to cross a busy street somewhere, okay, hook up would be the call, and they'd come over and hook up. And as they got a little bit older, a little bit bigger, they just felt they could handle this. They're better suited to cross the street without help than with help. You know that, you know that moment? And you get a hold of their hands, and then you start to feel this pull. And one of them will run one direction, and the other one will be just pulling on the other direction. And maybe someone, one of them will take off and try to get ahead of you just to pull away from you so that they can do it on their own because they want to be independent. They don't want to be held back. And if, if they're the right size, you know, and, and, and they can't pull loose, then they'll just pull their feet up and just start swinging, you know, underneath you because they want to be let go. But do you let them go? No, you don't let them go. You hang on to them because you're a responsible, loving parent. And you know it's not safe for them. And you need to keep a hold of them. Now, now friends, this is a perfect illustration of what God does for us. God says, look, hook, hook up. Hook up. Plug in. Hook up. Just take my hand. And so I, I just don't know if I can get through this. I don't know if I can, I can, I can endure the pain that's going to be necessary to make these changes. I don't know if I can revisit that part of my life and try to bring healing and resolution to it. I don't know if I can do it. God said, that's okay. I've got you by the hand. I won't let you go. There are moments when, when we say, that's it, God, I can't take it. I, I, and you, I just, you just want to run from God. And you just want to pull away from God. And say, that's it, God, I, I'm going to take it from here for a while. I just can't go down this road any further. And God said, no, no. You're not getting away from me. Once you hook up with me, that's it. So this fear, this worry that says, look, if I, I don't think I can hold on. I don't think I can hold out. God says, don't worry about that. Cast all of your cares upon me, and I'll care for you. I'll never let you go. I'll never leave you. So pride and guilt and fear and worry can keep you from taking this step. And one last thing I want to mention is doubt. You know, I want to, I want to believe that my faith is so small, I have doubt. There's a really a wonderful guy in the, in the New Testament named Jairus. And Jairus came to Jesus one day and he said, he said, I know that you have the power to heal 
And Jaira said, my daughter is going to die. Would you please heal her? I love my daughter. Would you heal her? And Jesus looked at Jairus and said, look, if you have faith, if you have faith, your daughter will be made well. And Jairus, in a wonderful moment of honesty and clarity, he said, you know, I really, I, I really do want to have faith. I, I want to have more faith than I have. But I have to tell you, Lord, I have a lot of doubt. I just, I've seen other children get sick like this, and they've died. My wife, she's a worry wart. She's just, she's already started the grieving process. She's at home wringing her hands right now in the fetal position. She's just giving up all hope. I want to have faith, but gosh, you know, some of my friends have said, well, we're sorry, your daughter's not going to make it. This kind of illness never gets better. She's just done. And Lord, I, I, I want to have faith. Jesus said, look, if you have faith, your daughter will be well. He said, I don't have much. I got more doubt than I have faith. And Jesus then said, well, do you have any faith? And Jairus said, yeah, I've got a little faith. He's got a tiny little bit. Jesus said, that's enough. He said, that's enough. And Jesus healed, healed his daughter. Now watch this, friends. It doesn't matter how much faith you have as it matters where you place your faith. You can have mountain-sized faith, but if you put your faith in the wrong thing, the wrong source, the wrong person, that's not going to get you anywhere. But here's what God says. If you'll put what little faith you have in me, I can do big things. Your faith may be little, but my capacity is huge. And so God says to us, a little faith in a big God will get big results. And so I just, I just don't think I can get past this. Do you have any faith at all? Well, he has got just a little. That's enough. Put what little faith you have in a great big God, and a great big God can see you through whatever issue is in your life. It's good preaching right there. It's pretty good. So don't, don't let pride or guilt or worry or fear or doubt keep you from taking this step. So let me just, let's bring this in for a landing now. How do I take this step? How do I do it? If I want to allow God to establish a beachhead in this part of my life, what do I do? Here's number one. I accept God's Son as my Savior. For someone here, it may be this first step, the very first step of inviting Jesus and His forgiving grace into your life. And so you say, God, I need help. I, I need help at a fundamental level. My relationship with you is broken, and I need to restore relationship. And I know that that is possible by accepting the free gift of God's love and acceptance and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so I accept God's Son as my Savior. Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Yeah, saved from your sins, saved from yourself. God will help you. So accept God's Son as your Savior. Number two, I accept God's Word as my standard for living. I accept God's Word as my standard. One wall had some gra graffiti painted on it. It said, this life is a test. It is only a test. Had it been an actual life, you would have been given an instruction manual to tell you what to do and where to go. <laughs> well, actually, God has given us an instruction manual. 
He has given us his word. He has given us a beautiful resource to lamp our feet and light our way. Thy word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God, breathed by God, inbreathed by God, and useful for teaching the faith and correcting error, for resetting the direction of a man's life and training him in good living. So here's the Bible, which informs our faith, what we believe, and informs our lives, how we are to live our lives. There, there is an instruction manual. And so I accept God's word as my standard for living. That's how I take this step. Then thirdly, I accept God's will as my strategy, as my goal in life. I accept God's will. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, what do you want me to do? Ever prayed that prayer? God, what do you want me to do? You pray that prayer sincerely. Listen to me. God will answer that prayer. Let me just, let me just push that down a little bit deeper. Have you ever prayed a prayer something like this? God, I will do anything, anywhere, anytime with whomever you call me to. Just tell me what to do. I'll do anything, anywhere, anytime with anyone you call me to. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Let me tell you what I, what I have observed, what I think about that. I think very, 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 very few people ever pray that prayer. Because of pride or guilt or fear or worry. And we're hesitant, we're reluctant to pray that prayer. But let me remind you what freedom is. You want to be free? Then be free to choose who's going to control your life. And let me just give a witness today. You want God in control of your life. Because this little girl right here on the front row, this pretty little thing right here, she and I, we've prayed that prayer many times. Whatever, wherever, whenever, with whomever, God, you tell us what to do, and we will do it. That's adventure praying right there. But let me tell you what it leads to. It leads to freedom. Because you can get free really quick if you know you're right in the middle of God's best plan for your life. You can get really content. You can, actually, you can actually feel purposeful and feel significance. Feel grateful for a life that God has given as a gift, lived in His best plan. That's why you take this step. Say, so God, just come on in. Come, come, presence of God, come to this part of my life. I want you to be in, in control of every area of my life. Every area, because God, when you're... When you're involved, it's good. God is good. God's will is good. Now, it's not easy. No, no. 
It's not always fun. No, 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 no. Fun is not, fun is not the point. Although there's plenty of fun. It's about living your life in such a way that honors God and allows him to build his character into your life along the way. You make a decision for Jesus and then you allow him to work that out with you in the process all along the way. I accept God's will as my strategy and goal for life. And then lastly, fourthly, I accept God's power as my strength. I accept God's power as my strength. That's what I do. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything God asks me with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and power. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so I accept God's power as my strength. Yeah. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm at the door. Step three means to open the door means to have a willingness to open the door. Let God have access. Let God have presence. Let God be invited to establish a beachhead in that part of your life. And so that's what step three is all about. That's my invitation to you today. Listen, when you fly an airplane, there, there are two basic rules. One is instrument, uh, instrument flight rules and I, IFR, and, and the other is visual flight rules. And so instrument flight rules, this is what airlines fly by, this is what the professional pilots fly with, but the hobbyist and the casual flyer usually just uses visual flight rules. This means that you have to have a clear day so you can see the ground, you can see the horizon, you can see where you are, so your orientation is basically visual. And that's how you fly around and you get your bearings. But here's the problem. The FAA suggests to us that most of the small air, air, airplane crashes that take people's lives most of, those, most of those, those tragedies occur because people are flying under visual flight rules and when they come up on some weather, which inevitably happens, out of the blue, as it were, weather, bad weather, comes and is in front of you, and it's beside you, you can't get over it, you can't get around it, you can't get under it, and now you're in the clouds and you can't see the horizon anymore and you can't see the ground anymore and now there you are. And inevitably, this happens to pilots. Fly long enough and this will occur. And what the FAA suggests is that if a pilot who is not rated with instruments would simply pick up the radio and ask for help, could you tell me exactly where I am and give me some bearings so I, and, and suggest a course to get back out of this weather, that would help me. But more times than not, a pilot will, will say to themselves or herself, I can get through this, I can figure this out, I don't need anybody's help, I'll make it on my own. And they'll do so all the way to the ground or into the side of a mountain because they wouldn't ask for help. And you think, that's not, that's not, that's not even sane. What, why wouldn't someone who's completely disoriented, confused, don't know up from down, can't find their way, there's bad weather, the circumstances have them socked in, why wouldn't a person ask for help? And now you understand the application, right? And so here we are. We have these hurts and habits and hang-ups 
And for too long, we've tried to bear up under, underneath them on our own, in our own strength, our own power. But we've learned that the first three steps would say, look, okay, I know I have a need. Something beyond myself, beside myself, I need help. The second step is God says, hey, I'll help you. I know about you. I care about you. I'll help you. The third step is ask for help. Just ask. God, establish your presence in this part of my life. Overcome your worry, your fear, your shame, your guilt, your pride. Overcome all that and invite God's presence into your life. You'll be glad you did. Amen? Let's pray for just a moment. This is a chance for you to do this now. Lord, all of us understand what bad weather is. We've hit the tough spots in life. And so, Lord, we hear your call today to ask for help. So, friend, if you're in a moment right now where you're ready to take this step and invite God's presence into your life or that particular part of your life, let me just remind you how the prayer goes. I'll say the words, now you just believe it in your heart, pray it in your own, in your own mind. God, today we accept your Son as our Savior. I accept God's Son as my Savior. And Lord, I accept your Word as my standard for living. I submit to your truth. And I accept your will, God's will as my strategy, my goal in life. Anything, anywhere, anytime, I'm in, God. I accept your will. And Lord, I accept your power as my strength. This day, oh God, I consciously choose to commit all my life and all my will to Christ's care and Christ's control. Lord, thanks for hearing our prayer. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that once you take hold of us, you never let go. We pray in Jesus' name. And the people said, amen. Would you stand with us and sing?